Good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Today we are wrapping up the, the sermon series on authenticity. So we spent September talking about intimacy with God, self, and others. October, talking about authenticity with God, self, and others. And then next month, we will talk about simplicity with God, self, and others. And so today, we're going to wrap up this topic of authenticity. And I want to just remind you of what authenticity is. The dictionary definition is it, it means to be genuine, to represent what is true. It's not false or copy. That's the kind of dictionary standard definition of authenticity. Now, authenticity for people, it is, for any person, it's when the internal is accurately represented by the external. It's when what we show externally is accurate to what's going on internally. And then authenticity for the Christian, specifically, it's when the internal is accurately represented by the external, both of which are made new and transformed by Jesus. Amen? Is that good news? Do you need some transformation in your life? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. We grow in authenticity by a true knowing of God and self in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the church, we often talk about knowing God. We talk about knowing Jesus. We talk about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. In fact, every Sunday at Park Community Church, we remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in what we sing, in what we preach, and specifically in taking communion weekly. That's a rhythm that we have to remind ourselves of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's what transforms us. That's what makes us new. That is essential to our life. And so we talk a lot about God, a lot about Jesus, but we don't often talk about self, do we? In fact, I think a lot of churches and a lot of pastors will say, well, we shouldn't talk about self. We don't want to get self-helpy. We don't really want to probe the depths of ourselves, so we just need to probe the depths of God. And, and that's how I've thought for a lot of my life, but in recent years, I've started to see the shallowness of that and how that leaves us spiritually dry and, and spiritually shallow, in a sense. And this is nothing new, the idea of studying self and getting to know self. In fact, some of the church fathers throughout the years have, have taught us this. Augustine said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Thomas Akempis said, a humble knowledge of self is a surer way to God than a search after deep learning. John Calvin said, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. And David Benner, more recently in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, said, the truly spiritual life is not an escape from reality, but a total commitment to it. So this is the idea of authenticity, is that we actually have to know ourselves. We have to know who we truly are, our old self, our old nature, our old man, our old woman. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week's sermon, it was all about the tension between the old self and the new self. And it's essential for you and I to know the old self, to know our wiring, to know to know where we're broken, where we've been hurt, where we've wounded others, so that we could bring that into the light of Jesus Christ and receive healing. Oftentimes in Christian circles, and I've said this throughout the sermon series, we like to suppress rather than confess. And church family, how deeply you and I need to create confessional communities where we can come with one another in the gracious light of Jesus Christ and confess our past confess our present, confess our continual failings, and it's in that that we find our true, authentic self. And so this morning, I, I really want to close down this, this section on authenticity by talking about what it means for us to practice authenticity with God, self, and others. 
And part of this has to do with getting to know ourselves, but getting to know ourselves in the light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So this morning we're going to look at two primary passages. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about the, the gifts of the Spirit, and Galatians chapter 5 is about the fruit of the Spirit. And these two categories are extremely essential for us to practice authenticity with God, self, and others. The gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us that we all have a different spiritual gift to offer for the common good. And Galatians 5 teaches us that we all experience and express the fruit of the Spirit differently for the common good. And so that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our first text for today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's on page 959 in the Pew Bible. Grab a Bible, open it up, follow along. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans and were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are a variety of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it, that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then chapter 13 is an amazing picture of love, these gifts being worked out in love. But we'll stop there. Lord, make these words come alive to us today for your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, on July 3rd, I preached this exact text, and I made these exact points. So if you happen to be here on that Sunday, this is old news to you. I'm going to fly through this pretty quickly. A lot of you were gone. It was a holiday weekend, uh, but we did preach through the book of 1 Corinthians over the, well, from January to August. And so in, uh, in July, we were here in this passage, and, and I just want a quick summary, quick review, because it's so essential to our authenticity that we keep in mind that we have different spiritual gifts, that God has uniquely gifted everyone who, who becomes a part of a church family. He's uniquely gifted you. He's given you a different spiritual gift for the common good. And a couple points I just want to make as we review this passage. Verses 1 through 3 teaches us that, the, that, that these gifts are different than natural gifts. They're spiritual in nature. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. This is not your personality, it's not your natural wiring, it's not your Myers-Briggs, it's not your strength finders, it's not your Enneagram type, it's not that. Now, there may be some overlap, or it might be completely opposite, but God gives every one of his spirit-indwelt followers a spiritual gift, something that you could not do on your own apart from his spirit, and the purpose of that gift is to build up the body of Christ and to advance the gospel message of Jesus around the world. And so it's essential that you learn what your gift is for you to walk in authenticity. Part of the tension in the church and the frustration in the church and the judgment in the church and the comparison in the church and the, and the conflict in the church is that we do what another pastor has called gift projection. And so we, we, we value certain gifts and we look for those gifts in other people. And if we have a certain gift, we think everyone else should have that same gift. And, or if we value a gift that we don't have, we criticize ourselves for not having that gift. We compare ourselves with somebody else who has that gift. And we do a disservice to God when we do gift projection, when we judge one another, when we compare ourselves with others, and when we don't fan into flame the gift of the Spirit that God has given us. Amen? That's authenticity. You have to discover your gift. And keep in mind, they're different than natural gifts. Secondly, they de they're dependent on God's grace, not human effort. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts, and I love that he says a variety. Some people will tell you there's 23 specific gifts. I think there's more. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But it says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Who does the work? God, he empowers them in us. You cannot earn a spiritual gift. You cannot work your way into a spiritual gift. You cannot practice, uh, you can practice a spiritual gift that you've been given, but you can't practice another spiritual gift that you idolize and then get it. They're God's gifts. They're not dependent on, on our effort. They're dependent on God's grace. Grace is a free gift of God. Next, he distributes them by the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to all Christians. Every follower of Jesus, every spirit-filled spirit follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift. Look at verse 7. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, not to a select few, not to those platformed, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And, and you'll notice here, even how he says in verse 4, that 
that, that it's from the same Spirit. Verse 5, that it's from the same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. So what I mean by they're given by the Godhead. They're given by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to all Christians. Look at verse 11. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Next, these gifts are diverse in expression and unifying in function. And this really is all of chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all about the gifts of the Spirit being worked out in the first century church in Corinth. He's he's telling them how to utilize them in the body. Chief among how to utilize them in the body is chapter 13, love. And then chapter 14 is about specifically how to use prophecy and speaking in tongues in the church family. And Paul's whole point here in 12, 13, and 14 is to show us that these gifts are diverse in expression. And, And so people may even have the same gift, but they may express it differently. Have you noticed that not every pastor preaches the same way? There's different preaching styles. Same gift, different expression. Have you noticed how all people with the gift of administration might administer things a little bit differently? Same gift, different expression. People with the gift of mercy... They, they, they might show mercy and compassion. They might give out financial help and emotional help and, and spiritual help and physical help in different ways. Some people bring meals. Some people give money. So there's, there's a different even way, there's a different expression in all of these diverse gifts. And when we understand how God has gifted us, what our spiritual gift is, We exercise that gift, we utilize that gift in the church family for the common good, like verse 7 says. Not for self-edification, not not for building up our own ego, getting our own praise, getting our own acclaim, getting our own glory. Not to, so many of us are so insecure. And in fact, the people who look the least insecure are often the most insecure. They don't know it. But they're extremely insecure. And sometimes I think we, we try to exercise gifts and we, we even use the gifts of the Spirit to, to try, and, try and inflate our own value and self-worth. And what we need to be reminded of as followers of Jesus is that our value comes from God. We are created in His image and likeness. Our worth comes from the the, the fact that he's redeemed us, he's made us new. He thought that your life was valuable enough that he exchanged his own life for yours, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That God saw his creation, you, as so valuable that he sent his prized one and only son to die in your place. That's where your worth comes from. It doesn't come from what you have to give. And in fact, your spiritual gift isn't even your gift. It's a reflection of God. So all the spiritual gifts, whether there's 23 or 3,000, they are all a characteristic. They are all a gift of God. It all comes from his Holy Spirit, and you are simply a conduit for God to be seen in other people's lives as you exercise your gift. And your gift is different than the person that you're sitting next to, and that's the point of authenticity. You have to discover your gift. And these gifts, last, lastly here, again, chapter 7 all the, or chapter 12, verse 7, all the way through 14, is the reality that these gifts are discovered and developed in a church community. There are some really good spiritual gift inventories and assessments out there, and I encourage you to utilize them. They cannot be a replacement for the church community, for people who actually know you 
telling you, I see this gift in you. When you do that thing, I'm blessed. When you do that thing, I see Jesus. When you do that thing, I, I feel drawn in. That's where spiritual gifts are discovered and developed. Now, a, a, a gift assessment, if you've never been exposed to spiritual gifts, it might be a good place to start. Answer them honestly. You'll feel like a terrible human being if you do. I just did one this week again to, to just practice it. I put it in the Park Weekly, so if you're curious, there is a link in the Park Weekly that you can go and take a spiritual gifts assessment. And I took that assessment myself to make sure that it was worth putting into the Park Weekly and sending out to you. And I feel so bad about myself when I take those because <laughs> admission, authenticity, right? We don't all have the same gifts. Mercy is like my lowest gift compassion and mercy and all those questions about like if you see somebody in need you run to help them i'm like no i'm a pastor and there's other people who are like yes 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 and it's like when you read the word of god you just have to share it and you're like no please don't make me share it and, and for me i'm like yes i want to do that and and so that's you have to be honest with yourself Remember, this whole point of authenticity is getting to know yourself. You have to be honest with yourself when you take spiritual gift assessments if they're going to be anything close to accurate. Now, all they're going to do is kind of give you an idea, oh, this might be true of me. And then in your community, you start to practice, exercise your spiritual gift. You start to just do life with other people. And that spiritual gift starts to make itself known. And other people will call it out and point it out. And you will discover and develop that gift in community. And lastly... Spiritual gifts are a humble reminder that we are not Jesus, but collectively we become more like him. Amen? Jesus had all the gifts. He could all, do all the things. And so often, church family, we feel like we should be able to do all the things, or we feel guilted into doing all the things. We, we, we compare ourselves with others, and we're like, well, they can do that, they can do that, they can do that, they can do that. I should do that, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that. And you're not Jesus. You can't give yourself a break. Amen? Jesus can do all the things. You will be crushed underneath the weight of living an inauthentic Christian life if you try to do everything you can't. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift. Use it. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop letting other people's judgments of you change who you are or shield who you really are in Jesus. It will crush your soul and your life and in order for you to flourish in your walk with God, and remember, this is about your walk with God, you need to not violate the spiritual gift that he gave you. And so get into community, discover that, practice that with people who are trusted and who love you enough to encourage you and to also challenge you and to call you out and to say, stop doing that, start doing this. You shouldn't do this, I will do that, you should do this, I can't do that. That's the church. A place for us to take the load off and for us to flourish as we authentically exercise the spiritual gift that God has given us. Second text for this morning, it, well, here's all the spiritual gifts from the New Testament, the 23 that are listed. Um, you might find yourself on there. You might not. I think there's a variety of gifts. I think, I think like music can be a spiritual gift. That's not listed on there. Uh, these are some of the core texts where spiritual gifts comes from. Um, you may be one of those. 
next, let's move on to spiritual fruit now. So that's spiritual gifts, right? In order to walk in authenticity, we have to discover our spiritual gift. We have to exercise our spiritual gift, not somebody else's. And then secondly, we need to foster the, the fruit of the Spirit. We need to fan into flames of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm going to have you turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, and stand again as I read this passage. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord, may you make this passage come alive to us as we look at it for a few minutes here today. Have a seat. A couple, couple observations, points to make on this text related to authenticity. Authentic Christianity desires to walk by the Spirit rather than gratifying the desires of the flesh. It puts off the old false self and it puts on the new true self. And again, last week I talked about the tension there between the old false self and the, the new true self. And we see that tension right here in this passage, right? The, the, these cravings, these desires of the flesh and the gift of the Spirit. And an authentic follower of Jesus, it desires to walk by the Spirit. This doesn't mean you do it perfectly, right? We all know that our flesh still rears its ugly head. When you read this list, if you are honest with yourself, you're going to question your own salvation because you're going to be like, you know what, sometimes I think I am 19 through 21. Envious? That's an easy one, right? Who isn't envious? Jealous? An idolater? That means just putting anything before God. Valuing anything more than God. Even if it's just for a brief, weak moment, your flesh still rages. And so there's this tension here between the old self and the new self. And the point of authentic Christianity is not that you have perfected yourself. In fact, you, you could not perfect yourself. In Jesus, we are made righteous. We are wholly righteous before God yet we're still working this out. And so the reality is you're going to feel this tension between the old self and the new self. And an authentic Christian, it, he or she desires the spirit. When, when your flesh rages its ugly head, you hate that. Like, mm, I'm so sick of that nature. I'm so sick of that old man. I'm, I'm so sick of that old woman. I'm so, I, I just hate that part about me. God, you've made me new. Would you change me? Would you shape me? Would you mold me? Would you give me the, the fruit of your spirit? That is an authentic Christian. An authentic Christian is not afraid of the tension. They engage the tension and they fight the flesh 
with the Spirit. Now, over the past year, in, I've been reading this passage a ton over the past year and a half or so, and just, just thinking it through, and in this spring I was dealing with some uh, various tensions that was, that was revealing in me some, some anger, some frustration, a lack of patience. A lack of patience. And so in my lack of patience, I was praying. I was like, God, I want the fruit of the Spirit. I want patience. I don't have it. You do. You better give it to me. And if, I, if it's not here, that's on, that's on you. Like, that was my honest prayer with God. Like, I just do not have patience right now. And so I need you. And, and it wasn't even I need you. It was actually I need your patience. And in this interaction with God, I felt like he said, Andrew, do you just want my patience or do you want my spirit? And, and that was a really convicting moment for me when I felt like, you know what, actually, God, I'm not sure that I want you. I don't want you to have full control of my life. I want to keep some parts of my life for myself. I just want the good attributes of you. So give me the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, because I believe those are far better than, than the flesh, Right? But, but I want to still be able to control my own life. And, and God was like, no, you, you need the spirit, not just the gifts that I have to offer. You get the spirit and these gifts will follow. And so I had to change that prayer from God, give me patience to God, give me more of your spirit and patience will follow. And this is authentic Christianity. It's, it, it's asking that question. And Luke, I wasn't at the authenticity seminar on Wednesday night. I hear it was great. And I think he asked the question, he and I talked this through ahead of time, the question of like, we got to be honest with ourselves if we want to grow in authenticity. You have to ask, do I actually want the spirit? Do I actually want to surrender control of my life and give control over to the Holy Spirit of God? Or do I want to control things? And that's where it starts. If you're not willing to let God pry your fingers off your way of life and say, I want you, Holy Spirit, and that means you can take anything, you can clean out anything, you can expose anything in me, if you're not willing to do that, you, you're not ready to walk in authenticity with God. And so that's where it starts. Authentic, authentic Christianity, it desires the Spirit over the flesh. Secondly, authentic Christianity takes into account that the fruit of the Spirit is experienced and expressed differently by different personalities, temperaments, constitutions, etc. Look at 22 through 23. Again, here's the fruit of the Spirit. So we saw that the deeds of the flesh, and now the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And when we look at verse 22, we have to keep in mind, for authenticity's sake, that we are all wired very differently, right? And so authenticity, you, you have a spiritual gift. You need to exercise your spiritual gift for the glory of God, the good of the church, and the advancement of the gospel. Now, spiritual fruit, spiritual fruit, there's the same list, right? As Christians who are growing in the spirit, his spirit is producing in us this same characteristic, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He's not giving some of you love, some of you joy, some of you peace, some of you patience, some of you kindness. This is for any individual follower of Jesus. These, these, this fruit, and it's one fruit with many different characteristics, it's been given to us and it's being worked out in us. And you can't just say, well, I have love, but I don't have patience. 
It doesn't work. It's different than spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, you can say, I have the gift of mercy. I don't have the gift of administration. You can say that with spiritual gifts. You cannot say that with spiritual fruit. You can't separate them out. These need to be worked out in each one of us individually. But as we do that, we have to keep in mind, we have to make room for the reality that we have different personalities, temperaments, and constitutions. So the way that we experience and express the fruit of the Spirit will look differently. Think about the, the five love languages. How many of you have heard of the five love languages? Uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and some other fifth one. And I think there's a lot more, and I think all of us have all of them at certain times, right? But the reality is some of you feel loved in different ways and in different seasons. Some of you show love in different ways in different seasons, and, and one of the harms that has happened to the Christian church, at least in my experience of it, is that we have kind of this carbon copy picture of what it looks like to have the fruit of the Spirit. We find somebody who seems to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, and then we're like, we should all look like that person. Well, we're all wired differently. Joy? You know what joy looks like for me? It's adrenaline risk at adventure. It's snowboarding down the side of a mountain where I could die. That is joy. Some of you, that might not be joy. Your joy might be sitting with a cup of tea in a quiet chair, staring out a window. And for me, I'm like, please don't. I, I will be angry, not joyful. And so joy looks differently. Love, joy, peace. Some of you, we, we all experience peace in a different way. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? There, there's, a, there's a different way for us to express and experience these things. If you're dealing with depression, anxiety, the fruit of the Spirit is going to look far different in you. And I'm sorry for those of you dealing with those kind of things because you've probably been very judged by Christians who are not dealing with depression and anxiety. Like, just get happy. You're supposed to have joy. How about we understand? How about, how about we understand that there's different personalities, temperaments, constitution. There's, there, and sometimes... Oh, I'm going to go here for just a second. Depression is not necessarily the result of sin. Sometimes there's, there, there's something going on in the brain. There's a chemical imbalance. There's a sickness of the mind that we need to understand. And, okay, so this person who's dealing with a mental illness, they are experiencing and expressing the fruit of God differently than me, and that's okay. I need to make room and space for that and for them. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, I love what he, has to hear, what he has to say here. He says, paradoxically, as we become more and more like Christ, we become more uniquely our own true self. God wants us to follow and serve in and through our individuality. God doesn't seek to annihilate our uniqueness as we follow Christ. Rather, Christ's following leads us to our truest self. The spiritual life of one person should never be a carbon copy of another person. God's will for us is that we live out the harmonious expression of our gifts, temperament, passions, and vocations in truthful dependence on him. Amen? In truthful dependence on him. Your temperament may make you an introvert. That doesn't mean that you don't love people. To an extrovert, it might. And maybe you've been judged by an extrovert for being an introvert. And on behalf of all of us, I'm sorry. And, and flip side, vice versa too, right? 
And so, church family, we have to keep in mind, as we desire to walk in authenticity with God, we have to make room and space for people to be different because that is the glorious plan of God for his community. This diverse family where we all process information differently, where we all receive information differently, where we all express information differently, where we all have different personalities and gifts and wirings. Amen? And far too often, we like to get into echo chambers where everyone looks the same way as us, thinks the same way as us, processes the same way as us, values the same things as us, devalues the same things as us, because it's comfortable there. And you feel good being around people who are like you, but the messy plan of the church is for us to be surrounded by people who are not like us and to love one another like Christ loves the church. Last point here on First Corinthians, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Authentic Christianity is comfortable in its own skin. It is not conceited, provoking, or envious. Look at verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To be conceited means to to feel better than others. I'm pretty good at this Christian thing. Look at me. I'm serving other people. These other people aren't serving. I'm giving tons of money. Good for, maybe you have the gift of generosity and other people don't. That's actually a biblical gift, generosity. Look at me, I'm, I'm going out of my way to bring meal, meals to other people. Nobody else is. That, that's conceit. And here, Paul is telling us to, to, to find our gift and then to allow the, the fruit of the Spirit to develop in us and to not become conceited, feeling better than other people for ex- exercising our spiritual gift in our way while honoring and cheering other people on for exercising their spiritual gift and the fruit of the Spirit in their unique way. Provoking? He says, let us not become conceited, right? So feeling better than others. Or provoking? Provoking is comparing and competing, Gift projection. Let us not do that. Let us stop provoking one another by, 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 by comparing ourselves to one another or competing with others. This is not a competition. We are in church family to complement one another. The different gifts, the different fruit of the Spirit. They complement. There's not different fruit of the Spirit. Let me correct that. The fruit of the Spirit and the different gifts. They're complementing, not competing, not comparing. And then lastly, he says envying. What is envying? It's wanting what somebody else has. And essentially, when you envy, when you want what somebody else has, when you want a different spiritual gift that you see in somebody else, or when you want to express or exercise the fruit of the Spirit in a way that's, that, that, that is supernatural to someone else, but it's not supernatural to you, you are essentially saying, God, you don't know best. I do. I should be like that. I should be like them. I should think like that. I should do that. I should do more of this. I should do less of that. And there is correction and conviction from the Holy Spirit in the community, right? Just be, I, I told you, full disclosure, mercy, like my lowest gift, that doesn't mean I can't, uh, that I can go through life without showing mercy, without helping people in need, right? That doesn't give me a pass to not care. It just means I, I can't be the one leading part cares ministry because I'll be like, I don't know, just give them some money. I don't know, just pray for them. Let's, I, don't, I got other things to do. It, and so this is why it takes the body. We're not envying one another. We're not provoking one another. We're not conceited in our own gifts. We're humbled by God's gift in us. 
we're, we're, we're complementing one another by exercising God's gift in us. And we're not envying what others have. We see ourselves as a piece of the puzzle. This is all extremely essential for practicing authenticity with God, self, and others. And so church family, I'm going to give you one takeaway from this morning. Yeah, a couple takeaways. Number one, discover your gift and use it for the glory of God, the good of others, the advancement of the gospel. Take an assessment, get in community, ask people what they think, ask people what they think your gift is. Discover your gift and use it. Number two, ask yourself, do I, des- do I desire the spirit or do I really just want to live by the, by the desires of my flesh? And, and wrestle that out. If you want to live by the desires of the flesh, then admit that. And God will do with that what he'll do with it. He'll either give you over the desires of your flesh or he will work you over and give you his spirit and change you. So ask that question. Do I desire the flesh or the spirit? And then fan into flame the fruit of the spirit in community and give other people grace and space to be who God created them to be. Amen? Now I want to transition to communion this morning. And it's not really tied to this text in any way. I just want to read for you a little liturgy of communion as we enter into this next movement of our church gathering together. Remember, these elements are here to remind us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The man who had all the gifts of the Spirit and all the fruit of the Spirit, who lived the perfect life that we're incapable of living and died the sacrificial death in our place on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, as we come to communion Keep in mind that this is the joyful feast of the people of God who will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, from every tribe, nation, and tongue to sit in perfect unity with one another and union with Christ at the Lord's table. According to the Gospel of Luke, when our risen Lord sat with his disciples after his resurrection, he took bread blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. At that very moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized the Christ. It is Jesus himself who now invites all who trust in him to the table of grace, where we are reminded that it's through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection that our sins are forgiven and we are granted new life in Christ. And so come, dear friends. Come and receive the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ as we're reminded of it at the table. When you feel led and ready, you can come forward and visit the center stations or you can visit the back station.